so well, so faithful in Bolivia. Uh, my wife and I are continuing some of their ministry in leadership formation, but I'm going to tell you more about that, uh, about Bolivia and, and what God is doing there. And um, so, yeah, I really invite you to come um, this evening. Every place that I've been in this last few months is different in Canada. Such a big country, right? And um, I mean, this is my first time in Manitoba. And having lived in uh, Vancouver for 10 years, I can tell you it's very different. Right? Um, first of all, we have mountains in Vancouver. You now we have the ocean. Uh, and then it's always rainy and cloudy. And, and here it's, uh, it's cold and it's flat. Uh, and it's interesting because, um, you know, as I was walking from the uh, Shell parking lot with uh, Terry this morning, no, he's uh, casually commenting on uh, how nice it is to not have so much snow. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Oh, there's snow everywhere. And uh, he says, no, we're walking on like uh, concrete here. No, this is great. I was like, okay, right? <laughs> it's different. Um, little things like that. So every place is different. Moreover, every person is different. Each one of us is unique. How do we make sense of our life? How do you make sense of your life? Well, we have to take uh, the whole story into account, right? You don't get to know one person in one day or in one moment or something that you heard them say or speak. You have to look into that person's story. We make sense of our stories by considering a larger story. A larger story within which our own individual story takes place. So to make sense of our lives, we have to consider a bigger story. That's what Paul is going to tell us in this passage, or is telling us in this passage. That's, that's the first thing you, we need to do to make sense of our lives. Consider the bigger story. First thing. The second thing we have to do to make sense of our lives, I'll tell you tonight. It's by Paul too, and it's in Romans 12. But tonight I'll, I'll tell you that. But let's focus on this first thing that we have to do to make sense of our lives. Consider the bigger story. And that's what Paul is doing for us in the introduction to the letter of the Ephesians. In 202 words, which in the Greek original are one sentence, every, everything that Terry just read is one sentence for Paul. He, uh, I know uh, some of you that are teachers probably say, well, uh, just bad grammar, bad you know, like style. But the thing is that Paul is worshiping. He cannot contain himself. He is explaining the meaning of our lives in the context of worship. The genius of Paul is that in this theological avalanche, 202 words that you know, just are flooded with meaning, he explains our lives in relationship to creation, redemption, and destination or purpose. 
all these explanations happens um, as Paul cannot stop worshiping. One thing that is, inspires me about Paul is that for him, worship is joyful and exuberant. Kind of like what we were doing, you know, just some of you lift, raising your hands and just all of us singing a cappella. It's exuberant and joyful. But it also makes us, it helps us understand things. For Paul, worship engages the heart and the mind. There is no dichotomy. There is no, oh no, this is more for the heart. This is for the, no. For Paul, good worship engages the mind and the heart. To understand a little bit of what uh, Paul is trying to tell us here, we have to notice that like all good theologians, Paul is starting with doxology. He is uh, worshiping, like, as I told you. It's almost as if he were writing a song. Let's try to see, to, under, to better understand this passage, let's try to see it as a song. Um, you know how songs have a phrase that, re, um, that repeats every once in a while? For instance, we were singing, uh, and crown him Lord of all, right? So we say a bunch of things, uh, but we kind of come to, we land again in this phrase, and crown him Lord of all. So that's focusing our attention on something. Well, Paul is doing the same thing in this worship song that he, he's given us. And his, his anchor phrase, his anchoring sentence is, um, we can find it in verses 6. If you look at your text, the Bible, uh, verses 6, verses... Um, 12 and verses 14. The key phrase in these verses is to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Now, like all good songs, uh, or like most songs, um, this worship song has a, has a title. The title is very long. It's in verse 1. It says, Praise be to God, to praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the, re in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's the title of the song. Praise be to God. And why are we to praise Him? Well, we'll hear. In three occasions, like I told you, he closes his argument by saying, for the praise of His glory. But what is he telling us before he tells us for the praise of his glory? Verses 4 to 6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul is telling us that none of us is here by chance. None of us is here as a result of something we did, some merits that we accumulated. Rather, out of the pleasure and will of God, out of his grace, we have been made sons and daughters. Paul tells us something that we cannot contain in our brains. 
I cannot, and, and I read some theology, you, you cannot fully explain this business of predestination that Paul talks about. Our minds will not do the job sufficiently good enough. But we can celebrate it. Our hearts need to be engaged. And that is what Paul is doing. He is celebrating the fact that from before creation, God had a purpose for us. To the praise of His glorious grace. Let us celebrate that. What does that mean? Well, it means that whatever predates this moment in our lives had a purpose for the praise of His glory. Now, some things in our past are not as great. as We're not proud of some of them. But through Christ's intervention, through His grace they can be brought to bring glory to Him. I don't fully understand how that happens, but I celebrate it. What else, what else is Paul telling us? In Him, in verses 7 to 11, to 12, sorry. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Keep that in mind. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. The word that best describes the present condition of a believer is forgiven the word that best describes you as a person in this moment is the word forgiven but the measure of this forgiveness is not set by the believer no the forgiveness he or she experiences is measured according to the riches of God's grace. How big are the riches of God's grace? You know that posture. Very big. Being wise is another way of saying walking in the path of the Lord. Which for us Christians, then, means being and acting the same way Jesus did. So we know we are forgiven, right? Now, Paul is telling us, not only that, but you have been given wisdom and understanding. Right? There's hardly a, 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 
a more precious concept in the Old Testament than wisdom and understanding. And if we read the Psalms, for instance, starting from Psalm 1, the wisdom is about choosing the path of the Lord, right? And not the road of the wicked, remember? Or the proud, or the, yeah, or the foolishness, or, or the fool. So walking in the path of the Lord is the definition of wisdom and understanding. And for us, it means doing and acting, uh, acting and being the same way Jesus did. So, if the word that best defines us is forgiven, the best way to spread God's forgiveness is by forgiving. So, we preach this forgiveness and we show this forgiveness. That is the path of wisdom and understanding. We preach this forgiveness and we show this forgiveness. God is bringing everything in heaven and earth under Christ. And guess what? He is inviting us to participate in that. We know that God doesn't need us, right? He can do all things out of His will. Paul told us that. Just a couple of verses before. But God is inviting us to participate in His work, in His mission. Wisdom and understanding. Verse 11 tells us that we have, that we are heirs. In this version it says uh, we were predestined, but there's a footnote there. It says like a valid translation. It's like we were made heirs. So, what does this mean? Well, an heir is not an employee, right? An heir has much more responsibility. We're not employees. We're not consumers even of God's mission and, and, and salvation. We're not spectators of God's plan, of God's mission. We are heirs. We participate in God's salvation, in God's mission. Our present, our existence, is for the praise of His glory. We participate, we bring praise to His glory when we forgive. Other people see how we love and forgive each other, and they will also be invited to participate and be themselves for the praise of his glory. So Paul has told us the past, even from before earth was created, was in, is, in God, is in God's hands. Nothing escapes his purpose. The present, full of wisdom and understanding, is for the praise of his glory. We live Presently, we live our day-to-day -day life with this word that defines us, forgiven. But Paul has something else to say. Now, he wants to tell us something about the future. But he wants to tell us something about the future so that we will shape the present life 
according to that future that is coming. And there are good reasons to do that. Verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. We know that. The gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Future to the praise of his glory. Just like the past, just like the present. The spirit of the spirit is God's seal on us. There is not a Christian who has not been sealed by the Spirit. Or maybe I should say, there is not a Christian that has not been sealed with the Spirit. This is wonderful. The guarantee that God gives for the destination, for the purpose of our life, is Himself. He gives Himself as guarantee of what will come. Sometimes, well, if the Spirit is the guarantee... Of, of where we're going, right? Of our purpose, of our destination. We should pay close attention to what the Spirit is telling us. To the direction in which He wants us to walk. The problem is that sometimes we pay more attention to our own selves. To our intellect, to our pride, to, I don't know, our appearance, uh, to some uh, tradition or some routine and we don't listen to the spirit but if he truly is the guarantee that God has given then we ought to enter in deeper fellowship in deeper communion with the spirit there is something even more beautiful though I was telling you about the spirit he's more than just a leader and a guide he, the Spirit, is actually part of the promised inheritance. Because the Spirit is God's own presence, which in the new world will be fully and personally with us forever. But we already live in God's presence. 24-7, like uh, somebody was saying that was in the youth quake, 24-7, we live in God's presence. We are not simple recipients or consumers or, ex or spectators of God's work. We are heirs. We are participants. Your stories, the stories of um, people in the Philippines, the stories of people in India, the stories of our brothers and sisters in Bolivia are unique and different. But they all make sense within this larger story. Your individual story, again, makes sense within this larger story of God's love and purpose for his world. 
So let's remain in Christ. So that our past, our present, and our future can truly be to the praise of his glory. I want to leave you with uh, Paul's words to the Ephesians, words of encouragement. Um, sometimes we think of Paul as someone that, who, who can speak very bluntly and, um, and correct things. But, and, and that's true, but Paul has this amazing gift of encouraging too. And in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, he has a word for us. And this is his prayer uh, for us, and it's my prayer for you too. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Here in Manitoba, in the Philippines, in Bolivia, in India, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Amen.